the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for joining us. Smash that like, smash that subscribe, and come and join us in the chat. This is a mailbag episode, and we love to be able to also take questions and continue the conversation with you, the live audience. So this is a great show to do it. We have uh, some good questions that have come from the big old bag of mail. One way to get at us is to leave a five-star review. In that review, put your question. We will flag it and add it to a future episode. Be looking at some quarterback competition predictions. We have, you know, in the long-esteemed history of Week Zero games, we're going to highlight some of the best ones that we've seen. Gee, uh, I, wonder, I wonder who submitted that question. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somebody on the show? I don't know. Maybe. So is listen that we can get to it later, but like there's week zero games and there's also week zero moments because I've got a photo of David Shaw with a koala bear in Australia that just rings out in my mind <laughs> every single time that I think about week zero when uh, Stanford and Rice went to go play in Australia. It's not just Ireland that we've been sending college football teams here in the last decade or so. Uh, so we will get to all of that and more. And of course, uh, your live viewer questions. Okay, let's uh, let's go ahead and kick this thing off. I, I like this one here because it came from uh, somebody who is a bit younger than all of us. Uh, the question, the username is Sartan Bimmons, and there's been a lot of Barton love uh, that's been coming out. I've enjoyed that. All right, Sartan Bimmons asks. Uh, I was 11 for the Cam Newton year at Auburn, so I didn't understand how special of a season he had at the time. If Cam Newton played last season, 2021, what is the worst team that he could drag to a national championship? I was also 11 that year. No, we were working at CBS. The 2010 was season was our first one uh, with the eye. Don't you remember? I was Tom Fernelli, the child's reporter. He's only 11. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where, no, it where, couldn't have been. You don't have a you don't have a parent in media, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> uh, so what do we think? Where, where do you draw? Because the um, Cam Newton uh, famously, I think it was was the only NFL draft pick yes. on the offensive side. Nick Fairley was a, a stud on a defensive tackle on the defensive side. But you you look at the rest of that Auburn starting line, the rest of the depth chart. It was not your typical SEC West national championship contender, uh, especially from the long run of SEC championships, of which that was a part. So 
what kind of squad could Cam Newton, if he had played in 2021, in his 2010 form, what squad could he have dragged to a national championship? I, I don't want this to come off as Cam Newton slander because that season was the most incredible season I've ever seen from a college football player. And it's still the most incredible season I've ever seen from a college football player in that he single-handedly did carry Auburn to a lot of wins and got them to a national championship and they won the national title. But I think the worst team last year that Cam Newton could have led to a national title was Michigan. I don't think you're getting past any of the teams that made the college football playoff last year because the difference is that while Cam was on an Auburn team that, like you just said, Chip, there were no other NFL draft picks on it. But so much has changed in the decade since as far as the elite of the elite pulling away from everybody else when it comes to recruiting and kind of just hoarding all the four- and five-star talent that – Although the SEC was really good that year, and it had been good for a while, although I mean, not saying it was the best conference in football, it wasn't. It actually, if you go back and look at the standings, it wasn't a particularly good year for the SEC, particularly in the East. South Carolina, who won the division and faced Auburn in the SEC championship game, nine and five. But like the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world are so much better than everybody else at this point. So, like, if you look at quarterback. Maybe he's able to, you know, win a national title with the Wolverines at Cincinnati. Maybe you're able to win your semifinal game, but I don't think you're beating both Alabama and Georgia with Cam Newton at Cincinnati. So I look at that and I just think that as good as he is and like, look at the Oregon team that he faced in the title game. If that Oregon team, you put them in the playoff right now, last year, is that Oregon team coming within 20 or 30 of whoever it played in the semifinal, whether it was Georgia or Alabama? Because if you look at Auburn's schedule in 2010, they weren't really blowing the doors off of anybody. Like they beat South Carolina by eight in the regular season. They beat Kentucky by three. They had an 18 point or 22 point win over a good Arkansas team. They beat LSU by seven. They blew out a bad Ole Miss team. They blew out Chattanooga. Georgia was pretty mediocre that year. They beat them by 18, but they beat Alabama by one. And then they only beat Oregon by three. There were a lot of one-score games. It's not like the Tigers were just destroying opponents. The reason Cam was so effective was because they were in a ton of close games, and in those games, he was the difference maker. I don't think there are nearly as many close games as they would have been then as far as those teams are concerned. So I think that if he's quarterbacking Michigan last year, the Wolverines are winning the Big Ten, they're getting to the playoff, and maybe they're winning a national title. But even then, I don't think they'd be favored over Alabama or Georgia. I think you bring up really good points. I initially started this looking at teams that were like, can he drag programs up from seven and five to a national championship? I had a couple suspects, but then I was like, there's no way. There's no way one player makes that much of a difference. But I was interested at Oregon. Like, I think Oregon was a team last year that maybe you put Cam Newton on it. You know, because then I was like, all right, were there any rosters that were felt like they were a quarterback away or the quarterback play was pretty rough and then they were able to overcome it? I'd say maybe the Florida Gators too from last year. Like, you know, just that that was kind of my mindset. But I I I agree with you where you can't just take a team that's around five hundred or even, you know, eight and four and just assume that Cam Newton is going to elevate them, you know, four or five win differential. But I think he could be the difference in some really good teams being national championship contenders. 
Um, but I think you have to have pieces around it too. And I think you're yeah. right. I mean, that's that's why I think we need this. That's why there's a problem right now with these three teams that have such a separation because it doesn't matter. You need, you know, the blue chip ratio, which but all, yeah. you know, you need an entire team to compete with everything these programs have. And a couple of commenters have brought up Clemson, which I think is a good candidate because Clemson could probably get to the playoff if they have Cam Newton instead of DJU last year because you combine that with their defense. But is that Clemson team even with Cam once it gets to the playoff? Are they winning two games? I don't know. Do they have a healthier offensive line than Alabama did? So that's the thing. What changes? Like, does Cam suddenly heal their offensive line? Does he make the receivers more, you know, threatening because he can Clemson connects? with DJU played a 10-3 game against the eventual national champions. Mm-hmm. Um, I and think they Clemson, lost. <laughs> I think I think Clemson with Cam Newton is a good option, but I think I can go further down. Uh, I started with the final AP top 25, and uh, I was just going down. I said Clemson, okay, 14, but I think that Cam Newton would take a team that was even further down. I think Cam Newton on Arkansas could have turned the Razorbacks into a national championship contender. I look at... I look at the Auburn team and like you do a good job of providing some context for the 2010 season. And it is very tough to go 10 years later with everything that has changed about the game of football and everything that has changed about uh, sort of recruiting and the talent dispersion all across the country. But I think that Arkansas is one of your uh, candidates there is Iowa. This is then, then again, I'm looking at the AP top 25, is Iowa a team that Cam Newton last year and and factor in all of the you know turnovers and points off turnovers like Iowa with Cam Newton is Cincinnati. No, Cam yeah. Newton versus Desmond Ritter. That's not that's not a fair comparison. No, that's an upgrade. But how many draft picks did Cincinnati have last year? Nine. Yeah, they were. It's not like they were. It's not like they weren't talented. So, I mean, they upgraded quarterback. So, there's Iowa with Cam Newton last year is the equivalent of Cincinnati. They get to the playoff. I don't think they're winning it. Oregon? That was my suggestion. Yeah. Possible, but yeah, <laughs> does, Mario, slow down does Mario Georgia. have Cam handing off 30 times a game? <laughs> if, hey, how about if, uh, if it is Cam Newton and not Graham Mertz, does Wisconsin get off to a slow start? And does Wisconsin find itself in a position to be able to? Because that's what I've got to go for here is when I'm looking for the comparisons, I'm looking for the defense that's really, really good, but maybe not loaded up with five stars. And Wisconsin also fits that bill. I think it's a similar situation to Iowa where you get to the playoff or you might, because that's the thing. Wisconsin would definitely have won the West and they would have reached the Big Ten championship, but there's no guarantee that they beat Michigan if they're there. But when you get to the playoff at that point, like your advantage at quarterback that you have in the Big Ten with Cam Newton is gone because you're going up against Bryce Young. So Alabama has a good quarterback too. Georgia's got a defense that's better than yours. So everything that you have the advantage of in the Big Ten in this scenario, you no longer have once you get to the playoff. Because again, the difference these days is Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and now we're seeing Texas A&M kind of catch up. Like you, you mentioned the blue chip ratio. It's it's always been you need to be at least 50% to win a national title, or at least no team that's won a national title has had a lower 
ratio than 50%. But the difference is we're seeing more teams now with like a blue chip ratio in the upper 80s and the lower 90s. That wasn't always the case. Like it used to be like upper 60s and lower 70s. There is such a funneling of talent to certain programs because the transfer portal now allows you to go. And if it doesn't work out, there's no penalty. You just leave and you can go somewhere else. And it's it's fine. It's wonderful from that aspect. But one of the unintended consequences is certain programs can hoard talent. I can't I can't get you past Michigan. Can I get you with an Oklahoma State? Again, there's a Cam leads a bunch of teams to the playoff, but he's can he win the national title with him? Not in this day and age. No. Also, I guess that brings up the uh, the great college football playoff BCS era debate as well, where Cam Newton more parity when there's only two teams, Chip. Cam Newton on Oklahoma State probably gets them undefeated through the regular season, and if they're undefeated conference champs then they might be able to wind up there at the end of the year. But who gets left out, Georgia or Bama, after they played in the SEC championship game? Like a BCS era, BCS era allowed for Cam Newton to drag Auburn to a national championship. If Cam Newton is playing for Auburn in that 2010 team plays in the college football playoff, it is very possible, if not likely, that they might not have won the national championship. Yeah, like... The inverse relationship is when there's two teams, there's less access, but there's more likely to be parity as far as who can win it because it just takes one good year. But with an expanded field, you have more teams that could say, we made the playoff, but it's a whole hell of a lot harder to win a title. Mm. All right. Next question comes from Forrest the Florist. What's up, lads? Loyal listener circa 2017 here. Absolutely love the show and the boost of serotonin I get every time I hear the title song. I've got a mailbag question, but also wondering, where's the camp buzz? It's coming. Uh, camp uh, Camps have been mostly a full week through, so hoping we get some good intel soon. And that is, like this is about the time this weekend we will have a lot of those first big scrimmages, and that will reveal for a lot of our reporters across the 24-7 Sports Network that a lot of good intel in terms of how these position battles are sorting out, who's really been uh, creating that kind of camp buzz. Don't worry, loyal Cover 3 listeners, camp buzz is coming. But on that note, Forrest the Florist asks, can you all predict quarterback competition winners? Ole Miss, UNC, LSU, Texas A&M, and surprisingly Texas all have wide open jobs. Would love to see which horse each of you have in those races. Can we start easiest first? Does anybody believe that Quinn Ewers is not going to win the Texas job? No. Okay. So we can just sort of cross that one off the list. Thank you, Forrest. We won no matter what. We won. I mean, I feel like, yeah, he could lose the job maybe if he plays poorly but i just not against ulm yeah i just don't but i'm saying as the season goes on but i just don't see how everything that's gone into getting him to austin is going to lead to anything but him being the team starting quarterback for that first game yeah um okay so let's work backwards texas a&m we talked about this yesterday are we any any reason to believe that it's not going to be haynes king i have received 15 different versions of the meme I asked for on the show yesterday from Haynes King. So at this point, it better be Haynes King or else I'm going to feel bad about all the stuff people did for me. Okay. <laughs> LSU. No damn idea what to expect from LSU this year. I mean, do you have, do, do have either of you heard anything that kind of suggests they're leading one way or the other? And I think even more so by design, 
plan in a week one, like new coach, new scheme. Let's keep the other. And there's multiple reasons, but let's keep the other team guessing. You know, there's just no need for them to reveal any lean whatsoever so that Florida State has no idea what to prepare for. Go ahead. And we talked about it during the win total. It's like this is Brian Kelly. You even when you know who Brian Kelly's starting quarterback is going to be, you don't know who Brian Kelly's starting quarterback is going to be because it's we've seen it when he's got, you know, like the old saying is when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. Brian Kelly's like, if you only have one, you don't have any. Like you need seven. It's just it's I have no idea. Like whoever starts that first game, I'm not even going to consider them the starter yet. Do you think it's automatic? We see Jaden Daniels in some capacity against Florida State. I do too. I think they'll have a package for him to run. I think they'll have a package for him. No matter what, if it starts mm-hmm. or doesn't start. So that was my prediction. It's Miles Brennan takes the first snap, but we could see two to three. Qu- like Nussmeyer might even get in there by the end of the game if for some reason that uh, either Brennan or Daniels start to struggle. But I think it is highly likely that maybe even by halftime, we have seen both Miles Brennan and Jaden Daniels take snaps against Florida State's defense. And there are some people like close to that program who think Nussmeyer might be the best of right. the three. It's fascinating. His dad definitely does. Yes, obviously. <laughs> but Brent, but Brennan's got the experience, and he's been good when he's healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, if if he's healthy, then I would expect him to to take the first snap there. All right, North Carolina, Jacoby Criswell, Drake May. Who do you think ends up winning that one? You're the t- you're the Tar Heel. You tell us. No, there is. I, I would be extremely surprised. If uh, Mac Brown and Phil Longo decide on a starter before Florida A and M in Week Zero, because that allows for them to be able to see the competition. And remember when Saban also used to drag this out through like Week Three? Mm-hmm. It was always like the opener, uh, like famously, like Jalen Hurts didn't even take the first snap against USC, and that game started out a little rocky. Hurts comes in, they end up winning fifty-two to three. Uh, I think that with uh, Florida A and M at App State. At Georgia State, it will be both of them play against Florida A&M. There will be plans to play both against App State, and whichever one is able to handle what I expect to be an amazing and a hostile environment at the Rock and Boone is going to end up being the one to pull away. I lean Criswell here. Drake May is a, a very good runner, and like both of them are big and thick. Like Their body type and their playing style are pretty much the same. But with that news of Antoine Green uh, being out for injury for a couple weeks, I mean, it's like Josh Downs or bust in terms of reliable wide receiving options. So this is a North Carolina offense that I think is going to need to be as creative and as run heavy with the quarterback run included for them to be able to have some success. And so slight edge to Criswell, but the, the Drake May ceiling is obviously extremely high. And I do expect, again, both will play against Florida A&M. I think there will be a plan for both to play against App State in Boone, and it will be a little bit more of who handles the situation better ends up taking the lead there. Uh, I'll okay. go with that. Everything Chip said is what I think, too. Okay. I'll go with Criswell. Starts with the veteran, but you're going to see more. Um, and then Ole Miss. I think it's going to be Altmeyer. I have no intel on that, but just like reading tea leaves of what – I, what I like, I did have to watch the Ole Miss spring game because I was on duty that weekend and I had to do like a spring game roundup. I thought Altmeyer was better in that game. And a lot of the reports that you just kind of hear from, you know, beats covering the team and little tidbits of information that come out, like 
I feel like they're preparing you for Luke Altmaier being the starting quarterback, but that's just the way I read it. Mm, all right. Uh, okay. Let's go to, all right. For, well, I'll go ahead and take this live one. Uh, Mark from the live chat says a uh, chip worry factor with UNC one. There's no worry. I mean, it is, it is setting up perfectly for a great North Carolina football season. They're going to win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win one, lose one. They're going to lose one to a team that they shouldn't have lose to. And then they're going to get jump up and, and get somebody. I mean, maybe it's Notre Dame. And there are a couple opportunities on the schedule where I think that North Carolina is, is going to win as an underdog. But in terms of the overall consistency, I don't think we've seen any consistency from this program over the last two seasons. And so, yeah. I, I think it'll end up being seven and five, eight and four, and no no long winning streaks, no long losing streaks, just a, a perfectly entertaining North Carolina football season. Just get you to basketball season, baby. Just just win win a couple home games and then uh start the year preseason number two in the basketball season. How can anybody what does worry? That mean? What do you mean? What does that mean? What does that mean for the future of Mac Brown? Oh. Seven and five. Oh, seven and five brings uh, some seven and five forward. Seven and five if it involves uh, real struggles on the defensive side of the football is a poor reflection on Mac Brown's decision to bring in Gene Chizik because Gene Chizik mm. was brought to Chapel Hill, you know, his old guy, and Gene Chizik's been a defensive coordinator in Chapel Hill and had some success. And the idea was we've done a good job recruiting. Four star talent, even a co- you know, sprinkle in a couple five stars in there too. It's time to to flip the switch and be able to get that kind of production out of that unit. I think if the defense gets pushed around a little bit again, then you start to you start to get a little unsettled. I think if it's if it's six and six for sure, and seven and five uh, depends on how it breaks down. If there's offensive struggles with the changeover at quarterback and with the you know absence of good wide receiving threats. It's maybe a little bit more excused, but if it's another year where the the defense is a little bit of a liability after having all these good recruiting classes, then seven and five's uh, seven and five at least causes some unsettled responses. I think throughout the Carolina fan base, yeah, like, I, I think I it kind of no puts Mac Brown on the like on the hot seat the following season. And when I say hot right. seat, it's like warm seat. They'll be like yeah. keeping like a little bit of tension between Mac Brown and some uncomfortable questions. I mean, he's getting up there. Um, I would lean towards eight wins, though, so I feel better about him. I think that some of that talent is going to come. I mean, they've, he's been doing really well in the recruiting trail. That's his specialty, and I, I think they'll have a, a better season. I think, like, I, I have no idea how Chizik's going to do as the DC there because, you know, it's hard to know. When, like, he's had success doing it before in his career, obviously, but when you've been in a studio for a few years, you know, things change a lot. Just miss one season, the game changes on you. But I, I do feel like the Bateman was never a fit that made a ton of sense to me because like, I thought Bateman's defenses at Army were very good, but he went from Army, which is an option team that has the ball for like 40 minutes a game and puts together a whole bunch of eight, nine, 10 minute drives to a North Carolina team that was playing at tempo and was going like, you know, moving down the field in two and a half minutes before putting the defense back out there. It was just it was a weird kind of I don't know. I, I, I think the results kind of show the kind of fit that it was. They. If they can get uh, alignment in that defensive among that defensive staff and everybody on the same page and and everyone getting the same message, then I I think that it'll be a good thing for the Tar Heels. So we'll uh we'll we will see how it does end up playing out. And they losing at App State is not a sign that it's going to be an awful season. 
Like North Carolina losing at App State. I don't think it's a great sign, though. It's not a great sign. But I just, <laughs> yeah, it's not. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to be throwing up any like panic. My panic meter is not going to get tripped by losing, uh, losing in Boone in that game. I think you got too much Boone in you. I think you're not. I think you're not seeing it clearly enough. I don't. I. I it's not disrespect to App State, but if I'm an ACC team, I better not be losing to the Sun Belt team. They lost to App State at home. With I know. And, and how did it go from that point? It's like it's not a good side. All right. Uh, here we go. Let's let's do one more. Thanks for all the content this summer. Tom has mentioned playing the bass. Does anyone else play an instrument? Danny, do you play an instrument? I played the cello up until eighth grade, <laughs> but I don't think that counts. No, that Did you counts. ever like you mess around to do stand up bass then? I know. See, that's when you look back on it. Like, the bass is so much cooler. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why I was steered in the direction of cello. I have no idea. There was probably a good looking girl that was close in the violin section is probably why I did it, but I have <laughs> no idea why that decision was made. <laughs> Yo-Yo Canel over here. Just playing out on the cello. Uh, Tom, do you play anything else other than bass? Uh, I I play guitar poorly, and I could play the drums, and I could play the recorder. I had to learn how to play that in third grade. So I don't have – I never got drums. Uh, I can play guitar. I can play piano. Um, and then, like, you can play bass. If, you, if you've got a basic idea, if you've played in – when I was in my most uh, – not successful, but the most talented bands that I ever played in. I always played bass because I wasn't as good at guitar as the other guitarists that were in the band, but I still knew how to like keep time and be able to play and contribute. Yeah, a bad guitar player can play a perfectly fine bass. Yeah, <laughs> that was that a was much simplified too. version. Exactly. Uh, here was the, the next part of the question. Week zero is fast approaching, and that means everyone is fired up for Vandy versus Hawaii, Nebraska, Northwestern, and of course, Illinois and Wyoming. What are some of your favorite week zero games from the past? The long, long illustrious hero of era of week zero. It's been like five, six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like 2016 or so. Mm-hmm. And like some and of 2020 them- didn't really have a week zero. It just kind of everything started. Right. So what, what do we think? I mean, obviously my favorite was last year. Illinois beating Nebraska in week zero, announcing to the world that they were back and Nebraska was going to stick. Oh, Danny, that's why you thought this was a Tom planted question. (laughs) Yes. I think it's pretty easy. I think that because I'm trying to think like, has there been any just barn burner, great games? Mm -hmm. Um, There really haven't. The only other one I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. I think Miami game was good. Florida, Miami, and Arizona, Hawaii. It was 2019. Oh, yeah. Two games, and they were both awesome. Florida 24, Miami 20. And that was, you know, a preseason top 10 Florida. Then Arizona losing at Hawaii. Hawaii 45, Arizona 38. Cole McDonald throwing for 378 yards. Khalil Tate rushing for 100. That was just, I mean, Nothing but bangers on that 2019 week zero. We didn't, we didn't, we weren't trotting out a, a lot of FCS matchups. This was Miami and Florida, Arizona and Hawaii. Both games decided by one score. I, I thought that one was a, a very, very solid, um, a very solid week zero from the history. I completely it's crazy forgot about- how fast this thing has grown. I think it's going to get even bigger too. I mean, the TV networks looking for all this inventory, they see opportunity. 
I think we're going to see this grow. Also, like, Illinois is playing in League Zero again, and the reason they're doing it, like Brett Bielema says he enjoys getting the second bye because if you play that Week Zero game, you get another bye to your schedule. And he also says, like, he's of the opinion that, you know, your team improves the most from Week 1 to Week 2. So he loves to get that Week Zero game out of the way against Wyoming before you play, like, a Big Ten game because we're seeing now there are far more, like, Week 1 conference games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the old Week Zero was, like, you know, get yourself fired up for Hawaii at Colorado State, Wyoming at New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. And now now it's starting to obviously uh, trickle out just a little bit. Coming up on the other side, we got a special guest for you on the audio side. And then we'll dive back into the big old bag of mail with a look at Josh Heupel's long-term ceiling at Tennessee and more next Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back here on the Cover 3 Podcast, I'm Chip Patterson, and we're very excited to welcome a very special guest for this episode. You may know him as a 2019 NFL draft pick of the Cincinnati Bengals, where he continues to be a contributor to their running back room. Maybe as the Texas A&M school record holder for the most rushing yards and most all-purpose yards in a single season. And in the spring of 2023 at Texas A&M School of Law, students will know him as Professor Williams, here for the first time on the Cover 3 Podcast We'd like to welcome Travion Williams. Travion, uh, you are joining us here in the midst of training camp. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I'm breathing. I'm doing what I love to do. Um, looking forward to a new opportunity or something I might love even more. Um, like I said, I'm just blessed to be here. and Thank you guys so much for having me. So the... The opportunity here, it was a it was a very funny circumstance and it was a very modern circumstance of the you know social media and Twitter playing a role. Uh, why don't you help our viewers and our listeners understand how this opportunity to become a teacher, uh, where you went to school at the School of Law, how did it all come about? Wow. So um, so if we're gonna go back to the roots of how all this kind of went down, it all kind of came about as a joke. So originally, um the dean of the law school, he um, created a post on Twitter and he was talking about, oh, the law school is rushing up in rankings and it, it must be because Travion Williams is at the helm. So I so I seen it on my Twitter and uh, obviously it was a picture of me and, you know, with the law school, all the different type of stuff. So I was like, is there someone else by the name of Travion Williams that played at Texas a that is going to be a professor in the spring? So I was like, so I commented on it and was like, am I missing something with a question mark? And it kind of blew up, went viral a little bit. So um, obviously, um, one of the professors, her name is Alex Sinatra, she reached out to me and was like, oh, you know, what would you think about? What would, what would be your thought about actually doing this? And I was like, you know, 
heck yeah, let's 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 try it. The next thing you know, we were on a, a Zoom call with the dean of the law school, with the Chandler of Texas A&M, with the you know everybody kind of getting everything going and getting the ball rolling and everything. So like I said, it's a new opportunity. I'm excited about it. Absolutely came out of nowhere, but um, an opportunity like this you can't pass up. So took the took the opportunity and ran with it. And in those conversations with Alex and with the Dean, how long did it take before you zeroed in on name, image, and likeness and NIL and the opportunity that there would be to educate you know, these uh, future uh, participants you know, mm-hmm. in the representation game? You, know, you are going to be talking to people who are going to be interested in sports business there in the law school. How long did it take for you to realize that was going to be a place where you could uh, be an invaluable resource? Oh, absolutely. I felt like that was something I can be a part of and definitely something I can contribute to off the bat. Just when the opportunity and the notion of when they first started explaining everything of how the course could possibly go and what we could possibly do with it. I was like, obviously, I wasn't able to capitalize off name, image and right. like when I was at the collegiate level. But however, when you get to the NFL level, what's different about it? There's no as there's no difference. Obviously, it's just the collegiate level at the NFL level. So obviously, when you come and bring those things, you know, bring those two things about, I feel like I can definitely school, um, you know, school the student athletes, also school the, school the advocates. So the advocates are the one who will be properly representing the student athletes. So I feel like if I can bridge that gray area for them and, and really um, really show them what everything is about and, and put them in position to capitalize off of that. I feel like, you know, we can revolutionize NIL and absolutely make a difference in the world. What do you think are some of the things that advocates need to know? Or like, what, what are some of the top things that come to mind when you think about the opportunity to speak to people who might be moving into that advocacy role when it comes to working with athletes within the framework of NIL? Um, I just feel like it's, it's, it's best to properly understand, like, okay, what is a actual student athlete what does a student athlete actually have to go through from the student side of it you know obviously what are the schedule like what are the things that they have to deal with off of the field you know the things that can obviously hinder them if they can't take care of the first thing student you know the student portion of it and then when it comes to being an athlete obviously you know being an athlete and being an athlete that's the number one thing that that the player has to handle for themselves but i definitely feel like when we can properly show and understand and, and put these advocates in positions to understand what a student athlete is about, what they compose, the, the things that they need to be successful and how that can capitalize for them in the name, image and likeness business. I feel like, you know, when they when the advocates understand that and understand it at the optimal level, they can be in position to properly put the student athletes in position to obviously capitalize off, you know, their name, image and likeness. Do you have any thoughts on uh, but for example, a lot of coaches right now are talking about wanting to see a standardization of NIL. Uh, you know, there's there's a push right now in Congress for uh, you know different bills. There have been some; they failed. None of them have gotten to the point of being passed as law. But do you have any thoughts on the framework of how it should work, or is the way that it is right now uh, just the way that it should be in terms of um, the way that different states have laws and different athletes have different opportunities? If you were able to be the NIL uh, czar, if you were able to be the commissioner of NIL for the entire country, do you have anything that you would change or, or do you think the system is good as it is? And I feel like and it's crazy because when you think about this, obviously this question right here is the sole reason of why why haven't student athletes been have been paid up to this point now. And the reason of that is because how do we properly put in the retrospect of what is what can we do and what can't we do? 
Obviously, right. the only reason with the NCAA, obviously we haven't been able to be in position for the student-athletes to capitalize, is because there's no way to really kind of gauge it. Okay, so obviously, you know, the NCAA came out and said the thing about, okay, about boosters making the NIL deals, you know, you know, all the different type of stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I feel like if we could properly create um, and put in and put in retrospect that student athletes are workers, they should be compensated for their work and put it in a structural standpoint of they should be compensated for their hours that they're doing. And we can put that into retrospect and do that. Then we can have a baseline compensation for these guys, just like the NFLPA has a representation for through to the NFL and we create that baseline for the players. Why shouldn't we have a PA for the you know college players? Obviously, I know that there's there's things in the work now, but we should have a PA for the players who can properly go to the NCAA and say, hey, this is what we need. This is what the players need in, in the essence. And then we can take that to the colleges and they can be everybody can be compensated at the same level. And then obviously when it comes to marketing, you know, anybody who have the extra NIL deals, you know, that's just for them. And you know, go from there. But I feel like if we have something mandated where everybody can obviously eat from it, then it'll make everything easier. Right. I mean, there's a an idea that NIL isn't enough. You know, no. NIL is not even coming from uh, the schools who are getting to profit from the media rights checks that are coming from the game, which is being played by the players. NIL is still all third party. You know, it, it's it's money that's not coming out of the big pie. It's coming out from the side. I mean, it's, it's and it, NIL probably not enough then, don't you think? Oh, 100%. And then I feel like it's a standpoint of like, okay, NIL is, is something where it's like NIL is its own deal. I feel like NIL doesn't intertwine with NCAA. The NCAA isn't coming out of pocket to funnel, to compensate these athletes. So it's like an escape goal for the NCAA. If we're being, if, you know, honestly, if we're being honest, you know, so I, I definitely look at it like, okay, obviously the NCAA gave them the green light for this, but what is the NCAA actually doing about it? Obviously, they allowed them to do it, but what is the NCAA putting in place from the NCAA to the student athletes? That's that's the big question mark that I feel like you know that should be um that should be filled for sure. Have you talked to play? Are you are you in contact with any players? You know, either at Texas A and M or anywhere in college football, friends or have any idea of um, stories or things that you've heard that have informed some of your opinions on on NIL and sort of the way things are working in the modern era. Yeah, hundred percent. I've you know I've been in communication with you know with some college athletes, some guys that that's honestly dealing with the stuff now. Just honestly hearing about the new type of deals and the certain stuff that they go through, and it's crazy because I'm excited about this um, class because I can properly educate these student athletes that every deal isn't a good deal, and you have to understand that these companies want to use you as a focal point for their company. So at the end of the day, you have the final grounds of what you want to set in place. You don't need to water down your brand and to accept every single brand because down the line, that'll hurt you. Down the line, that won't put you in the best positions to properly capitalize your name, image, and likeness so you can be compensated in every type of way. And then also, you know, you got to be a great athlete. You got to be a great individual before you can even be in position to do that. You can't be a guy that, you know, that's that's not doing the proper things, you know, uh, you know, Jack Ryan guy, guy that's getting in trouble and then expect to get these deals. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, name, image, and likeness is your like, are you likable? You know, how's your image? And then, you know, when people say your name, what comes to mind? So obviously when you break that down, then you can kind of get a retrospect of, um, you know, what can be done at that level. Trevion, you've got a lot of, uh, you know, you can spin a lot of plates. You can juggle a lot of things in your life. You you are currently in training camp with the Cincinnati Bengals. We are talking about uh, this class that you're going to be teaching at the School of Law at Texas A&M. I know you do great work with your foundation and you're still really committed to Houston. I mean, is there a sports business 
aspect of this that maybe later on in life or sooner in life that you're, you, with all of these experiences that you put together, you could see yourself starting to pursue that kind of path as well? Oh, 100 percent. You know, 100 percent. I definitely feel like, you know, that's something that I could be interested in. And um, I definitely feel like, you know, I have my hands, you know, in in, in my um, sports marketing um, team that I have now. Obviously, I'm a, um, I'm a, I'm a client of, of Lionhearted Sports and um, that's a sports marketing team that, that represents me. And obviously, that's something that I definitely feel like um, definitely feel like I can get into at some point, because at the end of the day, you know, especially with, with this new wave and everything that's going and everything that's set up is like it's so much out there to be able to put student athletes, be able to put athletes at the NFL level, collegiate level, you know, NBA, no matter what the athlete are, no matter if they're an athlete at all, there's so many different avenues to put people in position to be successful. And at the end of the day, it's not about making money. It's not about doing that type of stuff. I just like to put people in position to be successful and just like to, you know, affect people's lives in a certain type of ways. So, but I definitely feel like it's possible that it's something I can be interested in at some point. But um, obviously right now, you know, Football is my number one priority, you know, obviously football and, and then the new professor role and just being a dad and, you know, just focusing on that right now. But it's, it's possible that's something I could think about down the line. You make any time to think about how many games Texas a and is going to win this year? I hope they win 12. <laughs> I hope they win the SEC. I hope they win a national championship because I got a lot of teammates in the locker room. We talk a lot of mess week in, week out. So hopefully um, those Aggies can do some great stuff because, um, you know, I got a lot of stuff I got to talk in the locker room. You, I mean, you were in an interesting position in your time there. The you're recruited by Kevin Sumlin, and you were there for the transition from Kevin Sumlin to Jimbo Fisher. What were some of your impressions of Coach Fisher, and sort of how how did what you learned then? How does that um, inform you know what you think about the team now? And are you surprised at all with some of the success that they've had? Oh yeah, absolutely not surprised at all. But first off, you know, as always, I want to thank Coach Sumlin for giving me an opportunity to, um, you know, play football at Texas A&M. Obviously, I was recruited by him um, all throughout high school, and then I made the decision to graduate high school early. The best decision I ever made: graduate high school early and then went to Texas A&M. And obviously, you know, did a lot of amazing things my freshman year. But that allowed me to, you know, get my foot in the door at Texas A&M and establish some great things. But obviously, when Coach Fisher came in. Absolutely, that was um, that was one of the highlights of my career. Um, he came in and installed a great system. He's a great individual. Um, he's a great man, and uh, he's a he's a guy. He's a great coach as well. But he's at the end of the day, he's a guy that wants to put you in position to be the best man that you could be. And then at the end of the day, that translates to football. But I'm excited for those guys this year, man. Excited for the new um, you know freshman that we have came in. You know, obviously end up having a number one recruiting class. So excited for those guys to get out there on the field. Excited to see what they can do. Um, excited to see this this um, this brewing rivalry between Saban and Fisher. So <laughs> excited to see how everything is going to go. But I'm excited for them. I, I definitely feel like they can do great things. And uh, I know Fisher, uh, Coach Fisher, will put everybody in positions to be successful. And then, you know, all, at the end of the day, all they have to do is go out there and perform. So I'm excited for them. October 8th. I apologize. I don't have the Bengals schedule in front of me right now, but I imagine you will find a way to get your eyes oh. on Texas A&M at Alabama when that <laughs> game is on. They will be glued to the TV somehow, some way. I'm sure all my teammates will be talking mess and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I remember last year when uh, when we beat Alabama. The first person I went to was Jonah Williams. Jonah Williams. <laughs> Had to talk a little mess to him. But, um, but yeah, like I said, I was excited for that. And um, excited to see how it's going to go this year. Obviously, it'll be in um, – is that Denton Geyer? I don't, I don't know. The it's in Tuscaloosa. And, uh, uh, stadium. Yeah, but, Brian, um, yeah, Brian Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa. It's like – 
on a weekend where you're looking at it and you just realize like this is the game of the year. Oh, the way the game went last year, mm-hmm. everything that happened between Jimbo and Saban back in May with the back and forth, in how good Texas A&M and Alabama are both expected to be. I mean, that game probably decides the West. Like, yeah, without a doubt, game of the year type stuff. Yeah, it'll hundred percent be college game day. It'll be it'll be crazy. It'll be a crazy environment, but I'm excited for it, man. I'm excited to see how that goes. Um, well, uh, oh, and also, how how are you feeling about the uh, the upcoming season? How's training camp going? Oh, training camp is going amazing. Uh, I'm having so much fun right now. Obviously, it's year four for me. It's crazy where the time goes, man. Just obviously getting here in 2019, and, and and obviously it being year four now. Like just to think about how fast time is going. Then obviously coming off the of Super Bowl last year, and we're hyped. We're we're extremely hyped, and uh, we're excited to see how how this season is going to go. And we're looking even better than we did last year. So you know, I'm excited to see how this goes, man. You know, we got some great. Um, leaders in the locker room, um, you know, just excited to be a part of the system, excited to be able to contribute and and uh, be able to play this game at a high level. So, you know, we open up with Steelers week one. So excited to see how this is going to go, man. Uh, yeah, hey, we even got our first preseason game this Friday. So time is ticking, man. Like life is happening fast, but I'm excited for everything and I'm ready to get to it. He is Travion Williams, running back for the Cincinnati Bengals. The story that we discussed today, uh, you can actually see it on Beyond Limits. New season debut Saturday, August 13th on CBS and also streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You get to see him uh, spend some time in the classroom, you know, as, as he got in there with AJ and got to have some have some fun around College Station. And so be sure to check that out. Again, Beyond Limits, the new season debuts Saturday, August 13th. Travion, wish you the best of luck this season. Thank you so much time for spending. Thank you for spending time with us here on the Cover 3 Podcast. Thank you so much, man. God bless you guys. And as always, giggle. If you're on the audio side, thank you very much to Travion Williams for jumping in on the show. If you're watching us live on YouTube, head over to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash cover three. The interview is already posted. All right, let's dive back into the big old bag of mail with a a question straight from the heart of producer Jordan. Here we go. But this is actually from Jake. Uh, Dear cover three pod. Jordan's question name. (laughs) Dear Cover 3 Pod, last year Tom Fernelli referred to me as a poor bastard for being both a Tottenham and a Tennessee Vols fan. Well, as Michael Scott would say, oh, how the turned tables have turned. Tottenham is flying high with Antonio Conte, and Tennessee may have found our savior in Josh Heupel. My question is, what is Heupel's long-term ceiling at Tennessee? Are we destined to be a typical air raid team where the ceiling is 10 wins and a New Year's Six Bowl? Or can Heupel lead the Vols to an SEC and potentially national championship? You poor deluded bastard. <laughs> I, now it's not even poor bastard. It's poor deluded. <laughs> listen, Antonio Conte is my favorite manager in the world. So Tottenham's going to be fine. You're going to enjoy that. It's going to be really good. Buckle up. You're going to have fun. I yeah. <laughs> Jordan with the PSA. Vols are back. Um, I think, honestly... It's it's hard to say because with the NIL, like obviously Tennessee's gotten off to a pretty decent start in the recruiting class this year. If they're able to maintain that, then I think that they're going to improve. But I think that honestly, and Bud has mentioned this, like Josh Heupel was hired kind of as a bridge in a way. And it's like he's going to be entertaining. He's gonna, You might not have the best team kind of competing for the East, but coming off of where Tennessee has been and just getting some sort of stability – at least it will placate fans in that it's going to be fun. And let's look at how it's played out. 
Tennessee went seven and six last year, but scored a bunch of points. And fans now think that they're going to be competing for the SEC and and, Nash, and playoff berths because they went seven and six and outscored their opponents by I think one point on the year. So I I think that under Josh Heupel, you're probably an eight and four, nine and three kind of ceiling. That's I don't think you're going to be better than Georgia anytime soon. And I think if Florida gets its act together, I mean. Nine and three is what I th- where I think you're probably going to be. Best case scenario, mm. I would say higher. I'm a little more bullish on what they could be. I mean, there's some we get this question a lot from fans of programs that have never really had runs like Tennessee did 20 years ago, and I know it's 20 years ago, but I think there's the desires there such a way. It's, I mean, it's almost a problem because they're they the fan base gets in their own way hiring and firing coaches, but financially. Got one of the stronger collectives. We've seen that payoff. They want to do what it takes to compete against the likes of Florida and Georgia in the East. I do feel like the offense is good enough where if their defense can start coming along and eventually get better, they get somebody special at quarterback. I think you'll start seeing them show up in that blue chip ratio that Bud always talks about where the talent will be there. I don't think they'll be a dynasty. I don't think they're going to knock off George anytime soon, but I think if things fall their way, I think they'd be 11 and one, 10 and two, and competing for an SEC championship. I think they could knock off Georgia at home in that environment. If Georgia doesn't evolve offensively, it's a massive opportunity for Tennessee. But so my, oh, go ahead. I think Georgia can evolve in, offensively. So my example that I go to is a, a story from the recent college football history when the collectives before there were collectives, when we've seen a program be able to take all of the want to and suddenly see things jump. And, and I'm looking at the Hugh Freeze era at Ole Miss. And what was the ceiling of that Ole Miss team? It was playing in what are now you know New Year's Six Bowl games. It was even beating Alabama head-to-head. But you know what it wasn't doing? Winning an SEC championship because as much want to as there is, as much offensive firepower as they were able to create, they just didn't have the consistency to not only win that one big game, but also to be able to get a stop on like fourth and whatever when Arkansas was able to to steal away the opportunity to win the SEC West. We're talking about just the Josh Heupel era at Tennessee. That's what I see as the ceiling. That's what I see as you know what where you can realistically believe things can get to, and maybe even quickly, maybe even with Nico, maybe even in one of these next three seasons, that with an infusion of talent, you can get to the point where you're going to win that game against Georgia. But the problem is the loss against Alabama, if it comes, is going to count for your SEC schedule the same way as everything else. So you're going to be sitting there sweating tiebreakers just like Ole Miss was um, you know, back in the day. And so I think that it is possible that we are seeing Tennessee in the Sugar Bowl when it's not part of the college football playoff as a 10 and 2 team, or that we Tennessee starts the month of November needing a little help, but being in the SEC championship race. I, I definitely think that the want to, the history of tradition, and what an infusion of real talent can really bring to the Vols allows that to be the ceiling. But Georgia and Alabama have just had this thing st- sustained. Kirby Smart, as we mentioned, had to bump his head against the ceiling. He had to continue to stack class after class after class after class. And that consistency that he's had over the last five years is what set Georgia up to be able to be a national championship contender almost every single season. So I don't know if Josh Heupel's there for 10 years, 
But I think Josh Heupel could be there for the next four or five. And in that four or five window, I could see Josh Heupel leading Tennessee to a double-digit win season and a New Year's Six Bowl game. A couple other factors we need to consider, though, too. One brought up by Cameron Lopez in the chat, so thank you for that. But first, we have to consider what the future of the SEC is going to be. Because let's remember, right now, Tennessee is competing in the East, and its primary competition is Georgia. Well, Oklahoma and Texas are joining the conference soon. So there's two more programs that are going to be considering themselves teams prepared to be competing for SEC titles. What will the alignment of the conference be once that happens? Do Auburn and Alabama move to the East as Oklahoma and Texas are added to the West? Do they just get rid of divisions altogether? Does Tennessee have to keep its protected rivalries? Because like we've mentioned, Georgia, what Kirby's done there, been able to stack recruiting class on recruiting class. But what Georgia doesn't have to do every year is play Alabama in the regular season. Tennessee does. It's one of their protected rivalries. So you've got that to consider. You have realignment to consider with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. There's just, I don't know once those new schools come in, you add that to the pool that already has AM, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. Like, where's Tennessee going to fall realistically in that pecking order? I don't think this is like, I'm not saying they can't have a 10 win season or an 11 win season, a special year. Everything goes wonderful. But I think that. At, if you're looking for consistent finishes, the best you're looking at for consistently is going to be nine and three. That's just what I think it's realistic. I, so I, I'll I'll go back and kind of readjust my answer because I do think nine and three, but I think the changes of college football are going to benefit a program like Tennessee because if we see playoff expansion, not just one or two teams from the SEC, possibly three and even four, I think that's a huge benefit for Tennessee. And I think that would be the where – all of a sudden, maybe they can come in and make some waves and win an SEC title or lose the SEC, you know, not get the SEC title, but get to the playoff. So I would say the the record, I, I would probably agree with you closer on that one. Oh, my gosh. Jake in Knoxville, you're going to be so happy because what we're telling you is that the ceiling is a Tottenham ceiling. You can make to finish top four, make Champions League, get into the playoff. That's about the ceiling. But you ain't getting ahead of Man City and Liverpool. You're just rooting to finish in the third or fourth spot. Well, now, if Antonio Conte was managing Tennessee, I would say maybe they could win the division in the SEC. Because <laughs> nothing against Josh Heupel, but as far as where my power rankings are from different sports of managers, Antonio Conte here, Josh Heupel here. Uh, and speaking of uh, football, don't forget that Serie A gets started. Every Serie A match can be streamed on Paramount Plus. It does get started this weekend on Paramount Plus. Uh, be sure to check it out. Look at that cross promotion machine over there, Chip Patterson. It's 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 top of mind as uh, Nikola Milinkovic has signed up for another four seasons <laughs> with uh, with Fiorentina. I will admit. All right. This next question comes from Ken. This And listen, I, it's going to be a little lengthy, but I, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil. The reason that this jumped out at me is he is actually a UMass season ticket holder. So apply all the kinds of um, you know grace that he deserves as a UMass season ticket holder. Hey, fellas, appreciate all you do. Your content gets me through each and every week. I'm from the Northeast, more specifically Massachusetts. Even more specifically, I'm actually a UMass season ticket holder. Believe it or not, we do exist. Well, there's a couple dozen of us anyway. I know what you're thinking. This guy is a glutton for punishment. After all, UMass hasn't exactly lit it up since moving to D1. In fact, the team is a combined 20 and 92 in that stretch, winning just about one game for every five losses. 
As I look back fondly on the four-win Mark Whipple years, it leads me to take a look around at other programs in the Northeast and their lack of relative success. Dino Babers had his 10-win season in 2018, and Matty Ice managed to get BC ranked second nationally, but that was all the way back in 2007. Beyond those couple of seasons, there just isn't that much success to talk about around these parts, unfortunately, which leads to my question. If you were leading a program in the Northeast with the goal of eventually becoming a nationally relevant program, what steps would you take to get there? Are there still levers for programs up here to pull, or do us fans in the Northeast just need to admit we'll never compete with our counterparts elsewhere in the country? My buddies and I agreed we'd go to every UMass bowl game they managed to make when they joined D1 back in 2012. It'd be nice to get one before I'm gone. What what was his name? Ken. Ken, bless you. Because you. So, what area area of the country? He said Northeast? He's, yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah. He's a UMass season ticket holder. Oh boy! And, I mean, like he is a hero, is what he is, because it's easy to be a fan of an SEC team or an ACC team or a Big Ten yeah. team, even the bad ones. But to be a UMass fan and a season ticket holder, that those are the people that keep this sport going. So bless you. As for the question uh danny chip any ideas he said national <laughs> relevance all right so he's looking for just relevance i mean and honestly it sounds like near the end he just wants a bowl game before he dies so <laughs> i don't know you've been to a doctor lately what is it have they given you any like cholesterol readings what do we need to know <laughs> i would i would be throwing stuff at the wall i'd go out and hire Who's the guy that goes for it on fourth down every down? Yeah, you need to be different. I, yeah, you got to you got to have something. Get a coach with some personality that's going to say things. That's going to say we'll play anybody anywhere. We don't care if we get beat by whatever. You need that money from those games to come in. I was going to say you go into you know into the southeast with your shirt off and you know play seven on seven with the players like Jim Harbaugh did. Satellite or camps. you have satellite camps down there. Um, I mean, you do like clearly, but like I, that, my mind was because I think it was one of the guys, I think it was David Hale at ESPN wrote an article about the Northeast schools. And so that's where my mind went to. I wasn't going to UMass of how do you make them relevant, but I think you got to do something outside the box. You got to run a system. You got to hire a coach, somebody who's different, who's going to make you stand out. I, I'll go to and my And if you standby. do, he's probably going to leave if he has success. So. Yeah. Right. I'll go to my standby. You got to run the option. I mean, yeah. first, you'll get attention just for being an option team because they're rare. You don't see a ton of them. But like I said, you have to be different. You can't be trying. If you're a program like at BC, you don't have to run the option. Maybe you should, but you don't have to. Like you could have relevance there. Like if you're in a power five program, but if you're UMass and you're like an independent, you can't be trying to do everything everybody else does, thinking that you are going to be able to beat them at it when you're in an area that does not have the kind of depth of football talent that the rest of the country has. And you just don't have the kind of history to convince kids to come to your school. Like the, the, the fields you're recruiting in the pool you're recruiting in. It's you've got to kind of, you know, mold yourself to that. And I think running the option would be something that you could do. Cause I mean, if that's why it works for the service academies, because they have size requirements that they have to meet that you can't be, you know, you can't be in a submarine if you're six, seven, 320 pounds. So you can't be in the Navy. So they have to go to what they can get. And 
I think that's what I would do first and foremost if I was at a program like UMass. But the other problem that you have there is if you're an independent and you've got to put together a full schedule every year, you're going to find enough teams that want to schedule you if you're running the option. So I, I don't know. It's a really tough conundrum. Celebrity coach. I'm talking and look. Bill it, Belichick leaves the Patriots to take over UMass. Could could be uh, a YouTube star. Could be a movie star. <laughs> like I, I, I want. I, I do not care about credentials because the first place I went ben was Affleck. like, yes. Like the first place <laughs> I went was like, okay, we need to, uh, you know, secure the bag or like get together. Like what? Are, what are the levers that can be pulled? I said no. Like just being able to offer, you know, a, a, an incredibly you know, financially beneficial experience might not even need to be enough. We need to make the program attractive. And I was just thinking like, all right, well, if you're up in the Northeast, then maybe, maybe you just need a star. Like we, we do not need any football acumen as much as we need to change the face of this program. And that's why I say celebrity coach. And and, and like maybe even, uh, maybe even like a, a fail up, you know, son of a billionaire or something. I mean, let's 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 really go to somebody who is going to go from the tabloids to the front page of CBS Sports just with their arrival. I mean, the the sensible side of this is like you hire the former you know NFL star, right? Mm-hmm. And that former NFL star gets an opportunity to be a coach. But I think that the uphill battle is so steep that we just might need to go straight to actor slash movie star slash personality of fame in order to really generate the kind of spark and interest that uh that Wahlberg here we go Let's <laughs> Wahlberg. Yeah, but he would insist on playing quarterback though that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's go <laughs> defense, yeah Dawson in the chat says defense is named DeWall <laughs> look I, I don't know how uh, Wahlburgers is doing right now. I know that they found themselves in some trouble, but I, I still think that the leadership is there. Mark Mark Wahlberg is is definitely in the realm of uh, of what I'm talking about here. Ben Affleck is in the realm of what I'm talking about here. Let's let's bring in some real let's bring in some real attention uh, to the program that might not exist otherwise. So I, that's, that's kind of that's kind of where I ended up leaning. And and Ken. I hope you get a bowl game, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, all right. One, one more question. Oh, this, this might be a better question for um, when we have some time to prep, but Preston who already delivered the goods with the meme on demand uh, is asking in the chat, what are the preseason? Cause it would be funny games of the year. Uh, I well, did. I th- I mean, the, I've got the Texas, Texas and South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, UTSA Texas is another one that I've already got circled because no matter what happens against Alabama, the expectation is going to be that Texas is going to turn around and either keep the momentum going or right the wrongs of whatever happened against the Crimson Tide. Jeff Trailer is going to bring a Roadrunners team that while there will be a step back is not going to be an easy out. So Texas UTSA... Texas A&M, South Carolina. Um, are, there, are there any other ones? And we can maybe circle back to this one as well as a segment once we've got some time to prep, but I do yeah. like the idea. What do you think? Bobby Petrino like, going back to Arkansas. I mean, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Not any, Missouri State. Not going to be funnier than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great call. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. 
Uh, Virginia Tech losing to ODU again from the Blue Chicken. Boy, that would be a <laughs> that would be a gift for uh, Ricky Ronnie and the the Monarchs. Uh, Tom, you got any? I was gonna say North Carolina losing to both App State and Georgia State, scheduling back to back road Sun Belt games. That'll teach you. Uh, kind of along the same lines as what you're doing with uh, Texas, like Miami going to College Station, beating the Aggies, and then coming home and losing to Middle Tennessee. Yep, that's the any it, the key of it would be funny is is a lot of times in the back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the give and the take, the you the get shift their in narrative. Yeah, the narrative shift is a huge huge part of it. Would, uh, wouldn't it be funny if somehow? USC and Oklahoma played in a bowl game. I mean, I don't even care. Oh, like just I, that needs to matchup. happen. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody talks about the NCAA tournament rigging matchups for narrative purposes. Oh like my if, gosh. If you're a bowl, if, if especially if they've both, especially if they've both fallen short of expectations. Mm-hmm. If they're both if like they're seven and five or eight and four, <laughs> put them in like the <laughs> holiday bowl. bowl or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like the the Florida UCF bowl game last year. Yeah. I was like, well, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what we've got in the Gasparilla Bowl. Someone that's going to be mad. Someone that's going <laughs> to be really is it, angry. Is, oh, it's it's not the Cheez-It Bowl anymore, but isn't it like what was the Cheez-It Bowl, like a Pac-12, Big 12 matchup between yes. kind of like second, third? Yeah, so what if that's what happens? Like they both go eight and four, seven and five, and then we get whatever the bowl game that's played at the Arizona Diamondback Stadium is called now. We get them playing in that game. Amazing. Great. Uh, Kansas beating Texas again would be phenomenal. I mean, I'm so sorry, oh Texas gosh. fans. So many of these, wouldn't it be hilarious, involve you know, the Longhorns? I actually disagree with that. I think Kansas beating Texas again goes from being funny to just kind of being sad. Okay. And mm. uh, and and still some uh, – yeah. oh, the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, because USC and Oklahoma wouldn't be happy to be in the Alamo Bowl. I know no. the Alamo Bowl is a fun bowl game, but that would – that would definitely bring out the uh, the goods right there. Also, Gronk is a great suggestion to be the UMass head coach and sort of fulfill both the celebrity angle, but also the former NFL star. All right, let's get one more and then we get out of here. Uh, hey guys, great podcast. You'll help me through a long distance relationship with lots of content for long drives. My mailbag question is this. What are some of the key numbers college football bettors should be aware of during the season? There are obvious ones like minus two and a half to minus three and a half and minus six and a half and minus seven and a half. But I also remember Bud and Tom mentioning some more college football specific ones like common totals that you want to be on the right side of. Thanks in advance for me and my girlfriend since her future engagement ring will be substantially larger from following y'all's picks this year. Uh, I mean, I don't shoot. I should have been better prepared for this because I don't have it right in front of me, but it's, it's pretty common sense. Like, Key numbers are if you think about <clears throat> sevens and threes and like multiply them up. Like it's 45, uh, yeah, 40, how- 45, 49, 52 are, are definitely ones that are going to pop up a lot. Uh, you know, in, in the Big Ten, you're 40, 45 minus three and a half is kind of like your standard that you're just going to slap <laughs> on any, t- any, you know, mid tier Big Ten team. You start to get up into the, um, you start to get up into more higher scoring, wide open offenses. That's where you're going to have 52 and 55. Uh, just sort start combining your seven and threes, and you can start to put together a, a good set of key numbers. And most of them are going to be uh, between 45 and 56. Yeah, because like it, it's it's 
like you said, three, seven, add them up, but also like look at final scores. Like there's a lot of four point games. There's a lot of seven point games, 10 point games. It's so it's, those are the numbers you want to kind of look at as far as the final scores. So that way it's differences in a key number. Like the questioner said, when it comes to betting two and a half to three and a half, that's a huge difference as far as like what side you want to be on because a the game is expected to be close and a lot of close games are settled by three points or less so depending on which side you're on two and a half three and a half three those are key numbers whereas going from a five to a six like i would put a lot more thought in a line moving from three a line moving from three to three and a half might completely take me off the game because that half point in that area is going to be huge but a line moving a full point from five to six won't have as much of an impact on me because you don't see a lot of five-point games compared to six-point games. So it's stuff like that to consider, really. Do you have any key numbers that you pay attention of, Danny? Does the shifts in end up like drawing you one way or the other? Or are you, you more gut? 77, when you see that number, there's a principle that we have on the cover three that you just can't take it anymore. I mean, we have our principal key numbers that we have to pay attention to. That's what I'm worried about. No, you guys nailed all the ones. Yeah. Um, hey, next week, we have something very special in store for you because on Wednesday, we've been doing our win totals. We've made it through almost everyone. On Monday, uh, we'll tackle some of the news. We'll give you some camp buzz. And then also, there was a there was a mailbag question asking for uh, BYU win total thoughts. So we'll do BYU. We'll do Notre Dame. Do an open table. Not a whole episode, but at least be sure that we give a spotlight to some of the notable uh, teams that are outside of the Power Five. We've finished all the Power Five conferences. Make sure you go back and listen to them. That'll be on Monday. Then on Wednesday, we will be doing our win totals locks. So if you want to actually know, of all the picks that we've given, and we've given, I think, 65 of them so far, which ones are we the most confident in? Which ones are we putting down on the spreadsheet for our competition? That will be on Wednesday. So make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.